Right, let's recap where we've been. Um, so, as you all know, we've prophesied about a growth spurt, um, and often when God speaks, it's not how we imagine. So we've got to be ready. In this year of opportunity, of realignment and reorientation, we want a catalambano, which means to seize and to grab a hold of the opportunities that we're being given. So if God's prophesying a growth spurt, then obviously that we've got things to do in the middle of that. Uh, we have got a responsibility. So seek to speak. If we only seek to speak, we won't have anything to say. And if we simply seek to speak, uh, it could just be somebody else's stories. It could be stories from our past. But if we are seeking, if we become a people who seek and become seekers, then we'll find treasures that are worth talking about. Proverbs 25.2, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and to search out a matter is the glory of kings. It is the nature of royalty to seek and to search. And Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. But we also want to seek to speak, which is what we're really going to talk a little bit more about this morning. Um, so Mark's talking about opportunities to speak. And as I was sitting there, we have Helen and Stuart here because they've been doing Kingdom and Streets. And you guys are members with us, and it's great to have you. So the fruit's already on the tree that the Spirit is involved in what we're doing. So we've got one. Can we, do you think we can have a few more? Is it possible? Helen, for a number of months, kept sending me a hate and I said, sounds like we're good. And I walked in fancy. She was like, I love it here. This is great. I'd like to become members. So this is Romans 10, 14 to 15. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them about him? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And that's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. I've always made this point. People will argue with your theology, but they cannot and will not argue with your story. So share your story. Share about the activity of God in your life and how he's loved you. This is Peter 3, uh, 15, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And this do with gentleness and respect gentleness and respect. We don't want to be pushing our faith on others. We want to be offering because respecting boundaries is loving people. And we want to look to partner with the Spirit. DCB is the house of the hunt. So therefore we're hunters and we're on the hunt as Alana starts to laugh at me. Heaven is on the hunt and it's our invitation to partner with the Spirit. And we do that by staying close to him and staying sensitive to him. Um, And we lose our sensitivity by the erosion of conformity to how the world thinks. That can't be done. I could never do this. This is going to happen. One plus one equals two. Whereas God's economy can be very different. We keep our sensitivity and are transformed by consistently and intentionally having our minds renewed as to how God thinks. So last week we covered a bit about prayer. Can I ask, did it affect your prayer life at all this week? It did. Great. So what we want the teaching here to be is something that you can grab a hold of and go, I can do this. So my alarm has annoyingly been going off at 8 a.m. every morning saying, pray for DCB. And I have not been, oh, Father, comest among us. Just been saying, God, would you grow us? Help me to do my part. Help our people to do a part. Amen. Can it look like that? We want to keep the, John Wimber used to say, keep the cookies on the bottom shelf. We want it to be accessible to everybody. You want to fly with it? Amen. Go for it. But just start somewhere. 
So there's a double dynamic. Isaiah 37, 31, once more a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. So we take root down below in Jesus Christ to bear fruit above in our lives. We seek him personally for ourselves and then we seek to speak for others. We receive to impart. And in Matthew 10, Jesus said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received it, now freely give it. So we're on the hunt for food for ourselves and for food for others. Jesus said in John 4.32, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So Jesus was feeding himself and keeping himself strong and then he could minister out of that place. And we want to seek to provide food for others to nourish them, but the end of the matter is not that we have people who are dependent on being fed, but we have people who are taking root below to bear fruit above, who have food that nobody else knows about. They know how to get alone with God, grab a hold of God, and to um, just spend time with Him and receive things from Him and let themselves be loved by Him and love Him themselves. This is Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Would anybody like to become mature? Do we think it's possible to become mature? Do we really? Because I don't see it a whole heap. Does that mean that it's not possible? It means that we just have to be about the business of doing it. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ. That's the destination of Destination Church Belfast. It's the full measure of Jesus Christ. So Jesus took time to be by himself. He spent time with the Father and then ministered. And he said about prayer in Matthew 6, 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I commented that when we were starting DCB with small groups, research that was done proved that those leaders with a strong prayer life have groups that are more than four times more fruitful evangelistically than those who don't. So please, please be praying. I've called us to pray. And if you haven't set your alarm, let me encourage you to do that. It's a really practical way of just getting into your life. Let's be praying um, for the church. And I commented that Psalm 133 is the psalm of unity. Where there's unity together, God commands blessing. So we all want to be on the same page. Let's be praying that this church grows. Okay, are we up to date? Are we ready to move on? So this morning what I want to talk about is prepare to declare. So preparation aids declaration. If you find anything out about me as I speak, I love little succinct phrases like your destiny lies beyond your strongholds or it's a nature, nature of royalty to seek and to search. Well, preparation aids declaration. There's a train of thought that somehow if we prepare something when it comes to anything spiritual, it isn't spiritual. Have you all? It's like, well, you know, um, you know, if it's all got to be spontaneous and and, and and just has to be, oh, and it's oh, if it's not floaty and oh, it's all free and all of this, then it can't be of the spirit. I absolutely disagree with that. Absolutely, we are sitting in a space that was organized and structured so that we could be here. It is the structure that provides the space for God to do what He wants to do. We do not have structure for structure's sake. If there's structure for, I can't even say this, if there's structure for structure's sake, it's typically just religious. 
It's a bit like Elvis, God's left the building, but the structure remains. We don't want to be about that. But we must have order and structure to be able to facilitate and let God habitate what he wants to do in his church. Can we agree with that? Okay. So I really want us to move away from that philosophy. If you, oh, yeah, I can drive, just haven't got my test. No, you can't then. Would that stand up? Well, no, I just like my driving to be free. Try that with the police. Where's your license? I don't believe in licenses. I believe that I should just be able to coast along, do whatever I want to do. Structure. Not for structure's sake, but structure so that we can go somewhere and we can get somewhere. So we want to break some misconceptions. I've discovered that God is an administrator and administrators are prepared. God cares deeply about the detail because the detail is where love is best expressed. What I've learned about Claire is that uh, one of the ways that I can love her is to serve her. I love serving her. I really do enjoy doing practical things for her. But I can do practical things for her that don't really float her boat. If I do the things to serve her that will float her boat, then we're on like Donkey Kong. And it's a wonderful experience being alive and being married. So for me, as I've been working through um, a rotation in work, if I can get my butt off the seat and write up on the diary, I am working this time and this time and this time. I guarantee you, Claire will go, you did that for me, didn't you? Yes, I did. You just was thinking, love, you know, you got, I know that you go through and book the um, after schools for the kids or when they need to go into breakfast club early, so I thought I would do that for you. Thanks, love, I really appreciate that. In my world before I was married, that means nothing to me, absolutely nothing. But in her world, it's love. So when we're about to, as all the administrators go, you see, you see, I knew that. Even Mark, you can agree with that. I knew that. I knew that God was an administrator. That's how you love people right there. Well, for me, if you want to love me, you say, look, I feel like I haven't had time with you. Can we make time and get some time together? I'm in. You've got me. Claire said to me recently, I was thinking we should book babysitters and you and I should just go out. And I was like, <laughs> do you? Doesn't work for Claire, works for me. Writing up in the calendar works for Claire. Having dates with, uh, with her, with me, it just works. Luke 12, 7. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He is about detail. Love is intentional. Love is practical. Love sets a date and keeps it. Love is in the detail. Love is faithful. Spontaneity comes from preparation. And I want to give you a few examples of this. To create a canvas for, for an artist to paint on, there has to be the right lengths of wood cut at the right angles, the correct amount of canvas, and the skill to be able to put it together. Then creativity can flow on the surface of that. If Nathan had a violin right here and right now, I could say to him, can you just pick it up and play it? Couldn't you? And you could just go off on one and have watched him do it, and everybody afterwards like, that was beautiful. But can I ask, how many hours of practice were there growing up? Was there frustration? Did you want to give up? How much money, I don't even want to ask that question, but was spent probably by your parents on lessons? Time invested, violence, broken things, smashed things, failures that happened, successes that happened, to the point now that he can just pick it up and off he goes. So we see these people who make it look easy, and we think it should just be like that. But in reality, all you're seeing is the tip of the iceberg. You haven't seen all of the preparation and the work that's gone on to get up to that point. Building a house. 
very practical, organized, intentional process. I glimpsed into this when we moved into our house, which was a little bit like a nursing home when we first arrived. I'm working through it, people. Um, and it had a, a open fire with a boxy boiler on it. And there was a bit of a leak, and we got the plumber around. The plumber said, well, you think about putting in wood burning stove? And I was like, really, wood? And Claire said, yes, I think it's a priority. And I went, really? Yes, it's a priority. We need to get this done. So I had to organize a builder, a plumber, and the guy to sign off the stove. And you're thinking, this, well, sure, that's easy. For me, I was, I mean, they, it, was, it was, could you come at this time? Yeah, sure. It's like working with Africans. I'm going to come on the 23rd of February at 8 o'clock. It's the 23rd of February and it's 10 o'clock. Where are you? Oh, I have another job. Took up some time. It's going to be another couple of weeks. Do you mean another couple of weeks or what does that actually mean? Oh, we'll try our best. To get, you'll try your best to get there on time. And then the plumber comes in and says, well, I can't do that because the builder hasn't done his bit. And then the builder says, well, I can't do that bit until the plumber's done that bit. I'm like, he's your godson. No, I need you to deal with him. What? So I had to get everybody all together and eventually got it all together. And for the past three years, we have a lovely warm home that when you flip the pump on and the fire's lit, it gets gloriously warm and it brings me joy. And Claire's happy when she's warm. In fact, there was one day where she said, it's too warm in here. And I was like, (laughs) I actually didn't think that we would ever arrive at that place. And it was all from wood. So everything that we enjoy everything that has flow and life and ease to it, there's work involved and there's structure involved. I asked Claire out, and I have to say that when I asked her out, most of you heard this story, when I asked her out, it was kind of more, uh, it was bigger than it felt when I asked her to marry me. And no, I said this, I'm offering you my hand. Hey, come on, that was quite good. It's like something out of Pride and Pride. No, on my own. Um, And I knew that she needed to be free to refuse it. I knew that what I would say would be really important. We all okay? And I waited nervously for the right time to be able to ask her. And I took counsel and said to people, what do you think? Am I crazy doing this? I was prepared as best as I could be for that lovely moment and for the way on after that. So preparation. We've got to get away from this this floaty, somehow super spiritual thought that we're just going to roll our way into these things. Let's get practical about our faith. So we set an alarm to pray. I'd be a really bad prayer. Of course you would. You need to be intentional about it. Just pray. Make a time, make a date, set an appointment and keep it. It's all about preparation. Prepare to declare. Preparation aids declaration. Second Timothy 4, 2-5. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry." And then this is First uh, Peter 3.15. I read this a second before. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But this do with gentleness and respect. So the question for you is, are you prepared? Not in for the sweet by and by and for heaven. 
It's not talking about that right now, okay? I'm assuming if you're here, which would be an assumption on my part, and if you're not a Christian and you want to talk about that, then I'm here and I'm welcome and love to talk to you about that. But if you are a Christian, we're not really concerned about heaven right now. We're concerned about doing what Jesus called us to do, which was to ask heaven to come to earth and play our part in doing that. So what if I was to ask you, what's the reason that you have for the hope that you have? What would your answer be? There's something different about you. What's been happening with you? What would you say? In the middle of work, when you're getting on with all of that other things you need to get on with, and there's all these people around that you know hate Jesus with a passion. The other's a Muslim. There's all things going on somewhere else, and it's just quite a caustic environment. And to talk about Jesus might be very difficult. What's your response? Oh, well, you know, I've just got some new friends. Or is it going to be, I've been going to church and I've been really encountering God and he's changing my life. Or what's your answer? Question, why do you go to church? What would you say? Why is there suffering in the world? Did Adam have a belly button? Really? Have you got any spare change? What's your response to that one? Remember what Peter and Paul did? don't have any money, but I do have Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. All of these things are opportunities. I think that half the time we have all of these doors of opportunity. Do you remember in the Matrix? Have you seen the Matrix? And uh, they go, he's going down a hallway and it's just filled with doors. I think that life's maybe like that. That there are lots of what we perceive to be walls when actually when we look at our life with God, there's opportunities left, right and center. Somebody asks you a question. Can I get you a cup of coffee? Is that an invitation into relationship? Maybe there's more going on here than we first thought, which is why we need to be prepared. This is a quote. Um, I thought it was from, uh, by G.K. Chesterton, but he quoted it from this book, and the book was by Bruce Marshall. It's called The World, the Flesh, and Father Smith. Um, and he made the comment that the young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. And I don't mean that to be offensive. I mean that to be the truth. That everybody is looking for God in the wrong places. You'll either reach for one spirit or you'll reach for another. So all of these questions that we're being asked by people, about the question about why is there suffering in the world, I would immediately think, what's happened to you? What sort of pain have you suffered in your life? What have you been around? What sort of teaching have you been around? Have Christians hurt you? Are you just angry? What went on? And I would maybe say, can I ask why you're asking that question? And we get in the conversation and maybe it goes nowhere. Maybe they get very angry and maybe they walk off. Maybe they don't. But everybody is looking for Jesus Christ, whether they know it or not. We have to believe that, that at some point in history, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If we think that he's just one among many, well, why are we sitting here? He is the one, the one, King of kings and Lord of lords. So the need and the search and the God-shaped hole that everybody has can only be filled by the presence of Jesus Christ. 
So prepare in the dictionary says to make someone ready or able to do or deal with something. And the synonyms are get ready, make preparations, arrange things, make provision, get everything set, take the necessary steps, do the necessary, lay the groundwork, do the spade work, gear oneself up, gird up one's loins, fit oneself out, kept oneself out, rig oneself out, provide, arm oneself. You laughing at me again. To make ready or able to do or to deal with something. And in the Bible, the word that's used in the Greek is hetemoios. Um, from, that's used in 1 Peter 3.15. From hetios, which means fitting, ready because prepared. So are we ready because we're prepared? So all of these things that we think should come naturally, even if it is. And what I've learned about being in pastoral situations is I don't have all the answers. But what I do know is that God will give me what I need in the moment that I need it. And that, my friends, is preparation. Because I'm not going in fearful and panicking and anxious. I'm going in at peace, connected to him, knowing that he's trustworthy. So we've got to be prepared. And the Greek word means standing by, ready to meet the opportunity or challenge at hand, ready because the necessary preparations have been done. Preparations mean that we are able to do what we wouldn't come naturally to us in the moment that it's required. Preparation means that we are able to do what wouldn't come naturally to us in the moment that it's required. Like running a marathon. Is that natural? Maybe for you. Only because you've done the preparation. I was, I was actually pointing at Doreen. You, Mark, uh, I think you're great and you, you look like you're well built and all, but I, I wasn't going for marathon runner. But even for the, it's the same example. Well, it's natural to her and somehow we think that that should be natural for us without the work that we put in in the training. So we've got to be prepared. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So I want to talk briefly about effective communication. Um, I had a manager when I worked in venture and she said to me, I've learned, she had four of us as photographers and she said, I've learned that I have to say the same thing in four different ways for each person to be able to understand it. So effective communication has two parties, one which is the communicator and the other which is the receiver. And the receiver, of course, has responsibility, but I'm really on the side of the onus is on the communicator. So if I've communicated something to you and you haven't understood it, I have to say that my default position is that I did not communicate effectively enough. And tell me, is miscommunication fun? Is it fun in marriage? Oh, it's really not. <laughs> Is it fun in relationships or any other part of life? It's just not. So we want to, we always talk about over-communicating. So it may seem really too much. I might say something to you and say, do you know what I mean there? Or I just want to over-communicate to you, I mean this. Please, I am not doing that to patronize you. And if it comes across like that, I'm communicating, see what I did there, the wrong thing. What I am trying to do is to avoid separation and distance and departure. What the enemy does is divide and conquer. So there's a, if you imagine 
that a relationship is like a stump of wood. And what the enemy does is comes, you know those, uh, I think they're called like exploding spikes or something, you can buy them in B&Q. But basically, he comes in by a situation and by the lies that he says and hammers in a spike into the stump. If that stays there, that will ultimately cause a splitting. So there is the initial offense, and then there is distance that is called if that offense is not dealt with. And how you deal with offense is you go and speak to the person that you have the offense with. You be transparent. You say, look, I have an issue here. Let's talk it out, and let's pull the spike out, and then there's not an issue. If the spike's not taken out, then what happens over time is through the distance, and you think the enemy's going to leave that thing alone? He knows that he has ground in the relationship. So he will continue to whack it and to lie to you and through his filter to find the person back to you and what they did. And the enemy loves, he absolutely loves uncertainty. So he's just going to keep hammering and you can't speak to them and he gets to hammer more and more and more. And ultimately then there's splitting and there's departure. We've all seen that, haven't we? Time after time. And it is heartbreaking. So we over-communicate so that we can love you. The receiver has responsibility, but I believe that the onus is on the communicator. So as communicators, we've got to know the people that we're speaking to. We must learn to communicate in succinct language that is easily understood by the receiver. So be prepared. What would your answer be if somebody said, well, look, why have you got hope in your life? I would want to get to know the person. I would want to have succinct language. I rehearse. When I'm driving along in the car, I rehearse. Particularly if there's difficult conversations to be had, I rehearse. I imagine where it could go, what, what I would do or say if it went really, really wrong, because it does. I rehearse and practice. So if in doubt, over-communicate, because the enemy will seize the opportunity afforded to him by uncertainty and distance. Nathan, could I get you guys up? Assumption is the enemy of communication and offense murders communication. Perseverance is key. If we want to actually do relationship and communicate effectively, we're going to have to persevere. We've all seen it. You try your best, you say it as best you can, and you can tell the other person might be going, yeah, yeah, I get it. And you're thinking, I'm not sure that they do get it. And then you ask a question that's really clear that they don't. If we are loving, then one of the things that love is, is and we will not give up. So I find that there's an obvious negative response to communication that wasn't intended to be damaging. If I find that, then I'll ask this question. What did you hear me say? And when somebody asks me, it's quite remarkable. Well, I heard you say something that was patronizing, and I don't think that's not on. Okay, I, I didn't. I, that was not what I said. What I meant was this. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's a great one to pull out if you're in difficult circumstances. Okay, time out a wee second. What is it that you're hearing me say to you? If we love the persevering, if we love the person, and if we're going to love them well, we'll need to act with perseverance. So what I'm calling to is I'm calling us to prepare, to prepare our words, to prepare the way we look at the person when we're speaking to them. Are we angry? Do we look very harsh? Do we have our face open and smiling and gentle? What's the tone of our voice like? Is it encouraging? Is the tone of our voice and our body language imputing love and worth to the person that we're communicating to? I want to call us to seize the opportunities that come and to build relationships with those that we're speaking to.
And to finish Romans 10, 14 to 15 again. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? So in Jesus' name, you are sent this morning. Would you stand with me? Do we believe that? I know that we're banging this drum long and loud, but we have got to get this, that Jesus Christ sends us to people, to situations, to opportunities that don't look in the first to us like opportunities, conversations that could change a person's life just because they say, are you going there or do you want a cup of coffee or how are you doing? So as always, I have questions to help us to respond. Do you want to let your roots grow deeper in Jesus Christ so that you will bear more fruit in your life for him? Or do you want to get ready for the opportunities that God is giving? And then finally, do you know that you need to be more intentional in your preparations to seek to speak? If you can answer yes to any of those, then please come and join me now at the front. Holy Spirit, we as a church want to, we really want to be able to take a hold of the opportunities that you're giving us. And we want to see this church grow and your kingdom grow and your kingdom come. So Holy Spirit, while we worship you, would you impart to us urgency? So come Holy Spirit.